Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, each week bringing you the latest on the recruiting trail from the Oregon Ducks, the Oregon State Beavers, and Oregon High School Athletics. This weekend, Oregon hosted dozens, nearly 100, of their top prospects for the Saturday Night Live recruiting camp. You could call it a positional camp. It's an unpadded camp in which the coaching staff gets to work directly with the top prospects from the class of 2022, 2023, 2024, and 2025. And in that preview podcast from last week, I promised we would break down the action. Who were some of the top performers? How did the Oregon Duck commits look? And so on and so forth. So we're going to jump right into it, starting with the quarterback position, the position that led to the most scholarship offers of any position on the camp so far. I do know of a few more offers. I'm taping this on Monday morning, uh, there will be more offers announced along the offensive line, potentially among the secondary. But as of right now, the the most public offers have come out of the quarterback position. But I want to start with Oregon's quarterback commit, Tanner Bailey, because he was in attendance. Easy to spot. He's not the biggest quarterback of the group. In fact, he's quite small, uh, has a very Southern look to him. He wore the long green sleeves and a towel, a very old school look. How did Tanner Bailey perform? And, and you know, to be completely candid, he performed almost exactly how I expected him to perform. And I think how a lot of people have scouted him. He's a smaller quarterback. He does not have the biggest arm. There's arm talent there. His ability to throw uh, on the run and off platform is very solid, but he doesn't wow you with his athletic tools. In fact, there were probably three or four younger quarterbacks at the camp who certainly from an athletic standpoint, from an arm strength standpoint, stood out more. I I don't think in the last few years when they've gotten guys like Jay Butterfield, Ty Thompson, that he stacks up necessarily athletically or physically from those guys. But what he is going to be and and what will really help this Oregon program is that he's going to be a guy who can come in and right away, uh, I think, pick up the playbook. I think he's a very cerebral quarterback. And then he's got a chance to kind of sit and learn. And I think with Oregon's depth, with Anthony Brown, obviously, he, he will be moving on. But right now, they've got Anthony Brown. They've got Robbie Ashford. They've got Jay Butterfield. They've got Ty Thompson. They've got a number of really good, athletic, young quarterbacks. And, and frankly, it's almost inevitable that at least one of those three, the Jay Butterfield, Ty Thompson, Robbie Ashford crew, ends up having to transfer. There's only one quarterback that can be named starter. And all three of those guys, at least the reports on all three of those guys, are very strong. Ashford still has the most to do athletically, uh, or excuse me, the most to do in terms of structurally, but athletically, he's off the charts. Jay Butterfield is kind of the sleeper guy that, for some reason, is a sleeper, even though when he committed to Oregon, he was the number two pro-style quarterback in the country. Somehow he got lost in the shuffle. I've never understood that, but that that seemed to have been the case for a little while when people got excited about Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown and and Ty Thompson. And then, of course, Ty Thompson's the first ever five-star quarterback signee for Oregon at the quarterback position. So one of those three is going to have to move on. And in doing so, you're going to suddenly have a little less depth than you hope to have. I think Tanner Bailey is right at that level where he's comfortable being a backup for several years. He's probably not going to transfer. He he knows, he understands where he's at, that he's probably a guy that if he ever starts, it'll be as a junior or a senior. And he's not going to, in the modern era of I'm not the starter from day one, I'm leaving. He's not going to be that guy. 
he's as good a guy, I think, as Oregon can get that they could probably tell him pretty safely, listen, it's it's unlikely you're going to start for a few years. And I, and I think that's probably where things are at with Tanner Bailey. This is a developmental kid. I think he will stay in the program for a long time. Uh, maybe a Nate Costa type, really, in terms of what he could be. Nate Costa, you know, as a backup, came in and 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 made some plays and did some good things. Everybody remembers his famous extra point hold that saved Oregon. I believe it was a game against Arizona uh, that just kind of kept Oregon alive. And had they missed that extra point, they'd have lost that game. Uh, and and that's you know his claim to fame. That that's his heroism in the history of the program. I think Tanner Bailey could be that type of player for Oregon. He's in the program for a long time. He's a leader. He's a smart kid. He's just not ever going to be QB1. At least that that's very early what it looks like. That being said, uh, guys develop. And anytime a guy's a four-star prospect, they've got a chance to develop and be really talented. So we'll have to wait and see. But in terms of raw tools, uh, Tanner Bailey, pretty much what I thought he was. He was a good leader. He was involved. He fit in really nicely. He he was, you know, he engaged with the prospects and, the, and things like that, did a nice job, was comfortable talking to the coaching staff. But just athletically, you know, he was three, four inches shorter than most of the other quarterbacks and, and the arm strength wasn't quite the same. Getting into some of the quarterbacks that were offered, uh, and, and it was a little bit tough to see. We had no rosters. That it's really important to make that clear. And because of the NCAA's rules regarding access, media was relegated to a, a section between the forty and the forty on the field. And because there was a number of drills taking place all over the field, some of it was really difficult to see. O-line, D-line was impossible to see from the media vantage point. Just really difficult. You could get an idea of who won a rep, but you couldn't get an idea of their hands, their feet, uh, you know, their strength, unless they flat-backed a, a defensive lineman or a defensive lineman flat-backed an O-lineman. But even that was difficult then to see the number of the guy that uh, got beat in the drill. And so you didn't know the level of competition necessarily in those one-on-ones. It was difficult to see who both guys were. The other side of that is the opposite side of the field from receiver corner one-on-ones media really couldn't see. And there were a number of high level kids there. So at times it was difficult to know who these quarterbacks were throwing to. And it was difficult to get an idea of who some of these quarterbacks were. Uh, That being said, 2025, uh, Amelie Piccarella, Uh, picked up an offer. He's one of the nation's top quarterbacks in the class of 2025. He has not yet started high school, but he is a special, special talent. There are folks who think he might be the number one, number two young 2025 quarterback in the entire country. So not a surprise to see him get an early offer. Uh, I got to be completely candid. I, I did not get a chance to see him, or at least I didn't put together who he was out of that group, but certainly there was no quarterback in that group that I pointed to and would have said, that's an eighth grader. You know, they all looked the part, and that's probably why so many of these young men uh, picked up scholarship offers. 2024 Folsom quarterback, Folsom, California, Austin Mack. Not a surprise there either. He picks up an offer from Oregon. Again, you know, I, I mentioned in the preview podcast so much of this camp is not necessarily about the 2022s. Yes, you'd like to put the finishing touches on some of your 2022 targets, but this really lays the foundation and the groundwork for what you're going to do in future classes, which is why you saw Oregon offer so many 2023, 2024, 2025 type players. This is Oregon kind of learning who they like. They're asking athletes to do things maybe that initially on the field they're a little uncomfortable with. We want you to try this. We want you to do this. We want you to turn this way. We want you to use your hands this way. 
and the kids that pick it up and you say, okay, we like the body, we like the athleticism, and we're seeing that he's coachable. Those are the kinds of kids that picked up offers from this event. So it really allows Oregon to set their board, and you, you see that with Piccarelli and Mac, 2025 quarterback, 2024 quarterback, Oregon obviously uh, knows some targets that they like in future years and, and literally future years, multiple years uh, down the road, which is which is good to see. And did have one significant note among the quarterbacks. Number eight, nice frame, athletic, good ball rotation, comfortably can add 20 pounds and would look the part. It's 2023 Javante to a Puta Johnson. I butchered that name, obviously. A 2023 quarterback, the number 16 quarterback in the nation. One of the guys that I tweeted about in the week leading up that it, this was potentially a really big week for him. There are not a lot of people who think he really is the number 16 quarterback in the country, probably quite a bit higher, but he looked the part. You look at him and you say, man, if that kid can add 20 pounds, he can spin it. He's an athlete. He sees the field pretty well in, in some of the seven on seven Scully type drills just looked the part. I mean, it, again, in my notes among quarterbacks, it was just number eight, uh, certainly, and then and a number of things about him, and, and that turned out to be Javante, which I didn't know at the time. So anytime you're able to pick a kid out by number and say, that guy's going to be good, and it turns out to be the guy that Oregon offered, the oldest guy that Oregon offered, that means they thought he was it looked the part, that he's got potential, and that he uh, was the most college ready. And I say that because he's the oldest and he was the oldest quarterback they offered as a 2023. Overall, I, I didn't see necessarily outside of uh, to 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 Johnson, I didn't necessarily see a quarterback that I went, that young man is amazing. That's off the charts. And and the reason for that is, you know, Tanner Bailey is is not really that profile, the the Oregon commit from the class of 2022. And then a bunch of the other guys looked good, but they looked two years away or three years away from potentially being big time prospects. And and the reason for that is the best quarterbacks that were there were 2023, 2024, and 2025. So that's not a criticism. Uh, certainly there were a number of guys who I'd say, give him two years and he's got a chance to be special. And obviously Oregon felt the same way because they, they offered some of those kids uh, projecting down the road that they're going to fill out, get a little taller, get a little more physical and be those special athletes that they project to be. At the running back position, uh, the running back position really truly was, in in my opinion, one of the weaker groups. And and the reason for that, again, kind of going back to uh, even the quarterback group, the best running backs that were at the camp were younger players. There were some 2024s. There were some 2023s that showed promise. The 2022 guys were, were maybe more walk-on candidates or certainly uh, athletes who are top 40 running backs in the country, but not top five, not top 10 running backs in the country like we've seen in years past. So it didn't surprise me that that during the cat and mouse drill where the running back and the linebacker uh, face away from each other, they blow the whistle, they each turn, the running back has to run and make a cut and get around the linebacker in just one quick move. It was very difficult for any running back to get by a very good group of linebackers. They just struggled with that the entire camp and and that linebacker group is great that was my best unit coming out of the camp I said that was the best group and then also the running back group uh, was probably the weakest but there were a couple of offers 2023 Cameron Taylor picked up an offer he's already got offers from Arizona and Maryland he was the first offer or the first public offer out of Oregon Saturday Night Live camp he picked up an offer that day uh, almost like on the spot Cameron Taylor looked the part of the running backs. He was he was probably one of the guys who really stood out. 
And then 2024, Jason Brown Jr., a Washington prospect, plays for FSP. I mentioned that FSP would be coming with some of their top players, especially some of their top younger players. So not a surprise to see Jason Brown Jr., who's like the next up-and-comer with FSP, pick up an offer. Uh, Two running backs that are a ways away. 2024 is two recruiting cycles from now, and the 2022s haven't even started their senior year of high school. So a 2024 has not yet started his sophomore year in high school. So we're quite a ways away from those guys being on a college campus. And 2025 guys, who who some of, some of whom looked really good, they haven't even started high school yet. So we're quite a ways away with some of these guys. But that being said, it is interesting, again, to get a look at how Oregon's going to set its board. This is not an event for who are we getting on signing day. There's some of that, but very little. This is more for the fan who goes, okay, who are some of the prospects I'm looking forward to for the next two, three years? Who are some of the guys I'm going to read about three years from now? That's what this event is. And it, it really does help Oregon set its board for the future, but for the fan base, it, other than closing with a couple of kids, it really is more again about the coaching staff setting its board for the future. The wide receiver group was all over the map. I saw some really good receivers. I saw some really poor receivers. Uh, It really was the full spectrum with the receiving core. The one really good bit of news coming out of, and and one of the highlights of the entire camp, frankly, was that Steven Johnson, the three-star Texas wide receiver, was arguably the best receiver there. And that's a big deal because Jerry on Dickey was there. He was another standout. He's the number 10 athlete in the entire country. There were good receivers there. And for Stephon Johnson or Steven Johnson to be the headliner of that group as a three-star prospect out of Texas and to be Oregon's commit is a good sign. He got out of his breaks well. He's quicker than I thought he would be for his size. He's longer than I thought he would be. He's just an all-around better prospect, frankly, than I thought he, thought he would be. Big catch radius. He can catch the ball away from his body, uses his hands well. Again, he's a good route runner. He gets out of his breaks. He's fast. He checked a lot of boxes, and I'm sure the Oregon Ducks, and certainly the fans, were excited. People could kind of figure out that he was an Oregon commit. It wasn't that hard to figure out based on the way he was kind of being celebrated on the field, that it was obvious that he was a commit. He had a big day, a really big day, and I, I think you look at some of the three-star prospects for Oregon, and I mentioned that, that in the class of 2021, Oregon only signed three four-star guys. In the class of 2022, they already have eight and you say, well, is, are they going to end up with eight? And I think between you know mutually parting ways with a couple of the lower rated guys and then a couple of those three stars rising up to four star status, Oregon still might end up with only four or five three star prospects. So Steven Johnson, look for him to rise in the rankings as he gets more exposure because this camp put him up against good athletes and he more than held his own. He was one of the true stars of the camp. Jerion Dickey, I mentioned, was another player who who stood out. He was on the far side of the field. Difficult to see him, but just physically, you could really get an idea. In my notes, I just said, you know, beast. It was in my notes. He's six foot two, two hundred and five pounds. Just a really physical big-bodied, mature receiver. There's still some work to do with his route running, as there is with a lot of quarter, or excuse me, a lot of young receivers. But just again, from the frame, you look at guys and you say, who could play on Saturday today? Who could play for Oregon? Who could suit up and physically look the part today? And Jerry on Dickey was probably the the MVP of that group. Could play right now today. Uh, just looked big, looked physical, you know, kind of almost um, taller, but kind of that Josh Huff build where you're just a big stout 
receiver, big physical receiver. He's longer than that, obviously, but just real physical. Uh, and then 2025 wide receiver, Christian Norris. I had in my notes that he looked small, but was a good football player. You know, you could see that he was a good football player. So it's good football player, uh, comma, small. So when I see that, and again, I had to try to figure out who guys were after. So I'd write a number, some notes, and then I'd send it to different coaches and say, is this your guy? Whose guy is this? So I was able to figure out that was Christian Norris sending it up to Tracy. He's an FSP player, 2025. He was an eighth grade All-American. And that's why sometimes you can see a guy who physically doesn't necessarily fit. And you go, you know, maybe normally you might scratch him off at a camp of all juniors and seniors. At this kind of camp, you have to do your research and say, yeah, he looks small. Yeah, he got bullied a little bit physically, but his hands are good. He's a pretty good route runner. He looks athletic. He looks like he's got room to grow. If he's a 2023 or 2024, he's got a chance to be really, really good. And it turns out he's a 2025. So Christian Norris is definitely a player to watch. He has in his Twitter bio, 2028 NFL draft. So that's you You know what he's looking for. You know what he hopes to do and accomplish in his career. Uh, Christian Norris at 2025. The fact that he was able to run some routes out of the slot, get open and make catches against a good linebacking crew and then also some good corners is a really impressive feat for a kid who hasn't even started high school. So definitely a name to watch there. I wasn't able to see the O-line group until later. I mentioned that it was hard to see from the 40 because those took part in the East end zone. And we were, I was on the other 40, but I was able to see highlights after on social media, a bunch of coaches shared highlights. And of course, Spencer Fano, the nation's number four offensive tackle in the class of 2023, was an absolute monster. I sent his his highlights to a former NFL offensive lineman, and it had him evaluate what he saw. Those guys are better at that than I am. I do a good job, I think, with O-line. I understand what I'm looking for in terms of feet and hands, but I don't always know how a guy's going to grow. I don't always know how a guy's going to develop, and I don't always know how to identify great technique. And this former NFL player said, he's really good. And and the key here is Spencer Fano's still only 6'5", 250. And 6'5 is great, right? 6'5 is an offensive tackle. That that works. The 250 part is what surprises you because he physically, you know, he flatbacked a number of bigger D linemen. He you know, he went up against Cyrus Moss and more than held his own. And we'll get to Cyrus Moss later, but Cyrus Moss one of the top 30 prospects in the country for 2022. Spencer Fano is a year younger and more than held his own against Cyrus Moss. Spencer Fano phenomenal player, phenomenal player. And he fell in love with Oregon. Uh, mentioned after that Oregon had become his leader and did not shy away from the idea he could end up committing early. He's already been invited to the Adidas All-American Bowl in 2023. January of 2023, he'll be on national television as an All-American selection. And I would be shocked at this point if he doesn't choose Oregon. And and that's a huge get. He's going to end up being 6'5 and a half, 6'6", and probably you know, 285, 290 coming out of high school. His, he has incredible footwork. He's got long arms. He knows how to use that leverage. He's got good technique, and he's very strong for 250. Again, he's going up against guys that are 280, 290, 300, and holding his own physically as a younger player. That is stunning. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. Spencer Fano, uh, again, I talked to him after and just absolutely gushing about Oregon. He loves Oregon. They are unquestionably the team to beat. And he could end the process early. I don't, he hasn't set a date. He doesn't necessarily expect to. It's not like, okay, I'm ready to commit. 
but I think at this point he's seen what he needs to see, and I and I would be surprised at this point if he does not at some point choose Oregon. So huge for Oregon again, the number four offensive tackle in the class of twenty twenty three, a top fifty prospect nationally, a guy who really does have a chance to become a five star prospect, and uh, just from a strength footwork standpoint, he almost a can't miss prospect. There's almost no way that he flames out in college. He's going to be a pretty good player. Is he going to be a superstar or is he going to just be like a rotational asset? That's his ceiling floor. So Spencer Fanu is a, is a potential huge piece. Micah Banuelos, I mentioned him in the preview podcast, the number 17 interior offensive lineman in the country. Looked good out of Washington. Another FSP kid, Tracy Ford, just constantly pumping out high quality kids. Uh, I thought Benuelos looked good in the, in the amount that I saw him physically. He looks the part talented player. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the number 17 interior offensive lineman in the end. I think he's probably going to go up some. He held his own, which is good to see against good, a good competition. And then, uh, Sundre Afua, this kid's already gone viral. He's only 15 years old. He's got offers from Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, uh, a bunch of schools, like 20 schools already. He is a phenom because at 14 or 15 was when the first pictures were taken. And at the time, he was six foot five, 330 pounds. He's an interior offensive lineman. He's almost certainly going to end up being a at least a high four-star, if not a five-star prospect. Another FSP kid, another one of Tracy's athletes. Big time, big time, big time talent. And for being a 2024, he held his own. And that's that's what you want to see at this camp for those guys, especially physically when you're 6'5", 330 already. Uh, definitely you want to see them physically hold their own. And he did that. The D-line group was not elite. It wasn't great. Cyrus Moss was the top player there. And Cyrus Moss is just a physical freak. He still needs to add 30 pounds to his frame by the time he's going to be, you know, he's a lot like Kayvon Thibodeau, frankly. And and he says that standing next to Kayvon Thibodeau, he could see if you fast forwarded three, four years, you could see how he would look exactly like Kayvon. They project as a very similar player. He's six foot six to 20. What stands out is after he was done with his O-line, D-line drills, he lined up at corner against Jerion Dickey on a go route. Not only was he in good position, but he potentially would have intercepted the pass in the end zone if Dickey wouldn't have basically just tackled him for offensive PI. The ball was underthrown. It was thrown late. But Cyrus Moss, the fact that he can go do D-line drills and go against Spencer Fano, who's the number four offensive tackle in the country, and then right after that, go and line up against Jerion Dickey, the number 10 athlete in the country uh, for the class of 2022, and stay with him stride for stride on a go route tells you how physically just freakish, uh, just completely off the chart Cyrus Moss is. Again, he probably needs to get up to 6'6", 250, 255, 260 by the time he's done, but he's got three or four years to do that. As it stands, he's got good bend. He's a good athlete. He knows what he's doing with his hands. It's still developing. He's still got to learn some secondary pass rush moves. Guess what? All of those things are the exact same things everybody was saying about Kayvon Thibodeau when he was a junior in high school. So, you know, really highly rated kid needs to develop some of the secondary skill set of a pass rusher needs to get more physical. Um, I think Oregon's got a great shot at Cyrus Moss. I, I, you know, there was a time when I thought it was just kind of almost a slam dunk. I don't necessarily think it's a slam dunk now, but it's very likely. I stay, I stand by my prediction that he ends up playing for Oregon. I, I think that is the most likely outcome by a large distance. The longer it goes, the more I could see him maybe wanting to go somewhere else. But I, I just Oregon is clearly the favorite for him. 
Amarion Winston, the Central Catholic commit, was there. His stock has fallen uh, pretty hard in the last you know, six months to a year. And, and that's not me saying it. You can look at the 24 seven sports rankings and see, and he dropped from a fourth star to a three star and it, and has kind of continued to fall. Uh, the fall makes sense. You watch him in person and, and he's a little bit big uh, with some not great weight. The athleticism that he showed as a sophomore is not quite there because he's, he's just thickened up a, a good deal. And some of that isn't necessarily the weight you want to have. I still think he's got an unbelievable frame. You could still turn him into a very good college football player, but uh, he is not the same prospect he was as a sophomore. It'll be interesting to see what Oregon does there. Oregon's got a couple of commits in this class that right now, some of the guys that are interested are much, much highly, much more highly rated than commits they've took a year ago. Do they hang on to those commits? Do those schools and those players decide, you know, maybe Oregon's not the best fit in terms of finding early playing time. I'm going to move on. Uh, Amara and Winston, Andre Dollar, there's a number of them in, in this class. It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with those. Amarion's a great kid. He's a great young man. Uh, the Winston family, good family, good group of people. Uh, it's just going to be kind of interesting to see what happens with him. I, I was watching, you know, as closely as I could to see how things would go for Amarion and Again, the ranking drop made a lot of sense after after seeing him in person Saturday. Uh, the linebacker crew was great. They were a phenomenal group. They dominated the running backs. They did a good job in coverage against some really, really good tight ends. Uh, we will get to tight ends after that because the linebackers and tight ends went one-on-one with each other. But it's a young group. Tanner Salisbury is a 2022, but a three-star prospect, not super highly rated. He was fine. He did, he did well. He was a good player in this camp. Wasn't, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the competition, but was a good football player. You could see that he's going to be a successful player. It's just going to be interesting if he fits Oregon's profile, given who they have at linebacker right now. You know, you could be a pretty good linebacker even in the Pac-12, but if you're not Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, All-American, top five in the nation at your position, you might have a hard time finding playing time. I mean, Isaac Slade Matatia is a multi-year starter and the writing was on the wall that he was going to lose his starting job. That's how good this linebacker group is. It might be the best linebacker crew in the country. So when you add to that, you need to add to it with guys who are absolute superstars. And I just don't know if Salisbury's going to be that guy. It'll be interesting to see. Oregon's obviously giving him a long look. Then there was just a long list of younger guys, and that included Ramir Davis, the 2024 linebacker out of modern day. Uh, Leviticus Sua, the 2023 linebacker out of modern day, and Danny New, a California linebacker, a 2024 linebacker. Those guys are really good, just really talented, and they're a ways away in terms of of you know their 2023s and 2024s. It's a long way away before they put pen to paper, but certainly guys that I think Oregon's going to stay in contact with the rest of the way. The tight end group was really talented. And and I've mentioned, and I mentioned in the preview podcast, there are three or four tight ends and maybe even six tight ends on the, in the West region who in a normal year would absolutely be the number one tight end in the West region and would be one of the top tight ends in the entire country. That's how good the tight end group is. Two of those elite tight ends were at Oregon for Saturday night live Walker Lyons, the number 10 tight end in the country. He's not the number 10 tight end in the country folks. Uh, I saw him and wasn't sure exactly who he was and just made a note, just dominant, great player, you know, just maybe the MVP of the offense. Just Walker Lyons at tight end was just an absolute monster. 
but I didn't know who he was for sure. So I start looking at 24 seven profiles to see pictures of who each guy is to say, who is that for sure? Sure enough, I, you know, I knew it probably was Walker because he's one of the two or three great tight ends that was there. So I looked up Walker face match. I was like, okay, that's him. Let me check the offers. And it's, he's Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Ohio state, Oklahoma. He's got everybody in the country. And again, as the number 10 tight end in the country, he's, he'll end up being a top three or four tight end nationally. He had a great, great, great day. And then not only that, but posted a photo that uh, may end up going viral. It's, it's him sitting, holding shoe dog, the Phil Knight book. And the background is all Nike shoes, which is definitely, and he's in an Oregon uniform. I'm sure that's going to trigger some people who feel Nike or Oregon has an unfair advantage with Nike, just Oregon fully leaning into that Walker lines, fully leaning into that for an awesome photo. Uh, Walker lines was a stud. Riley Williams stood out because he was literally two, three inches taller than every other person at that camp. He's six, seven, 230 pounds out of central Catholic. I think he's going to end up being an all American. But I did think this camp was really good for him because in Oregon, he just flat out dominates everybody. He's so much bigger. He's so much more physical. He's so much more athletically skilled that I do think it was good for him uh, to face competition that talent-wise, physically, was a little bit ahead of him. And and that's not a knock on Riley Williams. Anybody who listens to this, you know, the podcast or listens to my radio show on 1080, recruiting with Andrew Nimick, 7 to 8 p.m. on Thursday nights, knows I love Riley Williams. I think Riley Williams is going to play in the NFL. I think he's a superstar. But again, he hasn't consistently, you know, with COVID too, he hasn't been able to travel a ton. So he hasn't faced a lot of elite four-star and five-star talent rep in, rep out consistently. And it was good for him to see that and, and, and learn how much more he needs to develop. The frame is amazing. He's got soft hands. He's a good route runner. He's a developing route runner. He gets out of his breaks pretty well. Again, it's hard to uncoil when you're six foot seven, 230 pounds. But there was a lot to like from Riley Williams. I thought he was the second best tight end there. And in terms of ceiling, he might still have a higher ceiling than Walker Lyons because if he figures it all out, he's 6'7", 245. And good luck stopping that. I mean, you know, that's almost those old Stanford tight ends, uh, you know, Toy Lolo and uh, Ertz and Kobe Fleener and those guys that, that you know, Andrew Luck had for a while where he just kind of tossed the ball up and, and they came down with it. He could be that type of dominant tight end at the college level and then in the NFL. So he's certainly somebody to watch. DB group, I, I mentioned that it was the most veteran group that that Oregon clearly is looking at 2022s in particular with that group. You know, with quarterback, we talked about it. 23 through 25s got offers. We talked about it with running backs. The best running backs were 23s and 24s, uh, and even a 25 at receiver. We saw a lot of that. The DB group, mostly 2022s, and and that makes sense because Jalil Tucker, the number four athlete in the country, was there. He looked the part in limited, uh, just physically, uh, just in terms of, of that whole thing. I'm not entirely sure I ever saw him take a rep. Uh, some of the top prospects that were on hand didn't participate in the camp. They were there, and they were on a visit. Darius Clemens, the, the Under Armour All-American, one of those guys. He was there. He visited, but he didn't take part in the actual camp because a lot of that was kind of, again, a prove it, set your board type setting. Darius Clemens doesn't need to be that guy. He's one of the top receivers in the country. He's got an offer from Alabama. So Jalil Tucker was there and and physically looked the part from what I saw. Uh, Jalil Florence was on hand. He's a four-star uh, DB. I think he's very likely, I mentioned in the preview show, 
that that he could commit. I think he's likely to commit. Jaleel Tucker narrowed his list after this visit to three. Again, I mentioned a lot of people think it's just a slam dunk for Oregon. I said it's not that. It's it's closer than people think. And right now, or at least prior to that visit, Oregon was probably in a close second. They were not first, even though everybody thinks they were. Uh, and again, there's been a bunch of predictions that he'll choose Oregon. I think Jalil Tucker, this could have put Oregon over the hump. Again, they were a close second. But entering into this visit, this was a key visit because Oregon was probably not in the spot that people thought. Jalil Florence, who most people think, you know, or at least people think potentially could go somewhere else, I think he's more of the Oregon lock. And and I still think that. Uh, I, I know somebody tweeted, one of the players tweeted future duck with a picture of him or when are you going to commit or something along those lines. So certainly the recruiting class thinks it's a matter of time for Jalil Florence, but the, uh, and then Caleb Presley, the four-star corner, one of the top 15 corners in the country, got a ton of offers. FSP kid. He and limited reps that I saw looked good. I saw highlights later on social media. He looked the part. I imagine Oregon is going to go hard on him. But the standout of the camp, my defensive MVP, went to Damani Dent. Damani Dent was absolutely dominant. Six foot one, 205 pound corner. Uh, could potentially play a nickel corner or even a safety, depending on his role at the college level. He just, whether he was against tight ends, and that included, you know, Riley Williams, six foot seven, 230 pounds. Damani Dent went toe to toe with him, climbed the ladder, and broke up a pass. He went up against some of the top receivers and shut them down. Damani Dent had six or seven reps. I had tweeted about rep three. Uh, Damani Dent is early, the, is early on in one on ones, is the absolute standout. Three or four more reps later, and Oregon took him off the field. One of the coaches came up and said, hey, Damani, let's uh, let's go over here. So they took him out. They'd seen enough is what I gathered from that. Now, he may have gone to the other side of the field later. I never saw him again the rest of the camp. So I don't know if Oregon took him off and he was just hanging out or he got to go on a tour and they offered him a scholarship. I don't know exactly what went on there. I've reached out to Damani since that visit's over. We've chatted a little bit. Uh, as of the time we had chatted, he hadn't yet picked up an offer, but he did think one potentially could be coming. Damani Dent is a three-star prospect, and he's committed to Akron. <laughs> and I was laughing about it with Damani after, and being like, "Dude, Akron? Are you like you were maybe the best DB at the camp?" Uh, and he said, cause of COVID, he wasn't able to go to any camps. He just hasn't been able to go to anything. So he felt like nobody knew about him. And just based on his film, he felt Oregon liked him and wanted him to come out. And he put on a show, Damani Dent committed to Akron. He will not end up at Akron. There is no earthly way a kid that talented goes to Akron unless he just decides he wants to. But again, he hasn't been to camp. So people haven't gotten a look at him. Damani Dent, to me, was the defensive MVP of the camp. Afterwards, some recruiting movement. Uh, Oregon made the top three for Jaleel Tucker and Darius Clemens. Both players announced their top threes. Jaleel Tucker is the number four athlete in the country. He's one of the top, you know, he's a he's a potential five-star candidate. Insanely fast, off the charts fast, one of the fastest kids in the entire country. And then uh, Darius Clemens, obviously the Oregon wide receiver, the Oregon, he goes to Westview High School, trim things down to Penn State, Auburn, and Oregon. Uh, that is not a shock. In, in, in fact, um, I, you know, it, as soon as I found out that it was going to be a top three and not a commitment, I knew it was Oregon, Penn State, and Auburn. Those have been his top three for a long time. So that didn't really move the needle. The one thing that it does do is eliminate Alabama. 
I know I'm sure people are going to say uh, from the Alabama boards and Alabama people that, you know, well, we'll just go get another guy. They might, and they probably will, but they wanted Darius Clemens and they wanted to make this top three. They wanted, um, they wanted to have his vi- uh, an official visit. They did want last visit. That was a big point for, of emphasis for them with Darius. They wanted to get last visit. He just kind of wanted to be fluid with his visit, so he wasn't necessarily willing to commit to that. And I think they really wanted him to lock in that, you know, no matter what, Alabama gets last official. When that kind of became a back and forth, it just made sense to 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 move on. So Auburn, Penn State, Oregon, top three for Darius. And that was really your camp. Again, uh, no rosters and multiple numbers of the same guy. So there were three uh, young men in black jerseys with the number one. And they're all rotating around moving to different drills. And some of them are almost exactly the same size. So it was very, very difficult. And and I don't in any way blame Oregon. It's against the rules, the NCAA rules for them to give us a roster. And it's against the rules for us to have any access to the recruits themselves. We're not allowed to talk to them. So you want to make sure there's distance. So that's why we stayed between the 40s. A lot of the drills took place away from midfield. So to make sure that reporters didn't talk to recruits. And then again, because there were no rosters, it made it difficult. So I'm sure, I am sure I've left out some standouts. I'm sure if you read other Oregon reporters, they'll have different standouts than I do. Damani Dent is going to be on everybody's list unless they weren't paying attention. If Damani Dent isn't on their list, they miss something because it was very, very obvious when he was pulled aside and pulled out of drills early in drills. That was very, very, very telling. Um, Again, I wrote number eight for quarterbacks. That turned out to be Javante, who picked up an offer. That was a very obvious good player from camp. Uh, Jerion Dickey looked the part physically. I think a lot of people picked up on that. And then, of course, Spencer Fano. It might have been hard to find him and see him, but once he tweeted out his highlights, it was just very obvious that he was a great player. So those are some of the guys that I think everybody would likely have. And Walker Lyons, the tight end, the number 10 tight end in the country, who won't be the number 10 tight end in the country for much longer, offers from everybody in the country, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, everybody. I mean, just an absolute monster. Those are the guys that I think consensus everybody would say were standouts. And then everybody's probably going to include all the guys that got offers. So that's a fairly tight rundown, as tight as I can be. I'm wordy, I'm talkative, uh, of who stood out at Saturday Night Live. It was a good event. Again, the key here for people who are going, how come they didn't land a bunch of commitments? There still could be commitments coming. I think Oregon did a great job with Spencer Fano. I think it was a very good weekend. The energy was good. I think they helped themselves with Jalil Tucker. That would be a monster get. He'd be the number two commitment in this class. They moved up for Darius Clemens. They became a very, very solid player, if not a leader for Darius Clemens. Uh, there was a lot of good progress made on top of setting the board up for 2023, 2024, and 2025. Getting a head start on those classes is absolutely huge. It is how Oregon has had so much success. They know who the top players are in 2024 in Oregon. They know who the top players are in 2025 in California. They are always ahead of the curve, and it's events like these that allow them to stay ahead of the curve. Big, big showing for Oregon. That wraps up football content. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got to break down a major, major commitment in Oregon women's basketball. In fact, the only other player rated higher in the history of the program is Sabrina Unesco. High praise. We'll tell you who it is next. 
Welcome back. We've got football out of the way, but we have to get to the Oregon women's basketball program's big commitment this week. Coming into the weekend, it was Oregon or UCLA for Chance Gray, the number seven player in the country, the number two point guard. No Oregon recruit outside of Sabrina Unescu has was ever rated higher who and ended up committing to Oregon. Sedona Prince was higher. Sedona Prince would be second to Sabrina, but she went to Texas first and was a transfer. I believe she was the number five player in the country. Sabrina was number four. Chance Gray, number seven. An elite, elite point guard out of the Midwest. The type of uh, program-altering talent you don't get very often. Her dad, Carlton Gray, was an All-American corner at UCLA. He had a an eight-year NFL career, including a couple of years with the Seattle Seahawks. This was an uphill fight for Oregon because UCLA had the family tradition, and yet Chance Gray is a duck. She joins Jenna Asai, and suddenly it just seems like we're 18, well, over like 15 to 16 months from when Sabrina Unescu was drafted by the New York Liberty. And suddenly we're just feeling her presence in this program and really in this class of 2022. So Chance Gray is the second highest commit ever behind Sabrina Unescu. So there's her first reference. And then Jenna Asai, who's the number 35 player in the country. Again, remember, ESPN drops their cut list of five-star prospects to right around 52 by signing day. So as of right now, Jenna Asai is a four-star prospect. On signing day, as long as she maintains the 35th ranking, she will be a five-star prospect. Jenna Asai led the Cal Stars, Sabrina Unescu's former AAU program, and in fact, they now wear Unescu Elite because she sponsored the program. She led the Cal Stars, Unescu Elite, to the national championship for AAU basketball this summer. Jenna Asai was either the best player on the team or the second best player on the team. She was the second leading scorer, but probably the best player on that Cal Stars UNESCO uh, elite squad. So Oregon's two commitments in 2022 both have some tie to Sabrina UNESCO. Not a surprise that her fingerprints are all over this program, but it is kind of a surprise that, that this recruiting class has direct ties to her. It's, it's an interesting piece. Those are two monster, monster prospects. Chance Gray, number seven overall, a facilitator, a pass-first player who can shoot. She shot more than 10 threes a game on the AAU circuit and hit 38% of them. That's a monster number because that number is going to drop in terms of number of attempts. She'll get the better, you know, half of those attempts rather than kind of forcing things sometimes for her team. She'll probably be down to five or six three-point attempts per game in college, which should up her percentage over 40%. She's an elite shooter, but she's a pass first facilitator and and very similar i guess in that way to sabrina she's 5 foot 9 so she's not real big she's not going to be a triple double machine she's not an elite rebounder cuz she's smaller but she does everything else at a very very high level this is a monster get and then jenna asai is your well-rounded r- wing oregon didn't have a lot of space in 2021 and that's why that recruiting class wasn't elite. It was it was fine. Taylor Bigby was a five-star prospect. They got their one five-star. Then they got a couple of transfers, and that was it. They didn't have a lot of room. In 2022, Oregon had some room. They landed five players. They were all five-star prospects. They were all five McDonald's All-Americans. They were all five Jordan Brand Classic selection. And it was the number one recruiting class in the nation. 2021, they didn't have a lot of room. In fact, they might only had a spot or two and they landed Taylor Bigby. And then with players moving on, 
it opened up one or two more spots that they had to fill late, which is why they went the transfer route. This is the first class they've had since having the number one recruiting class in America in 2020 that they could really flex their recruiting muscle and say, okay, we've got wiggle room. Let's go out and get the best players we can. And it's led to what could end up being a top three recruiting class nationally already. And they still have room and they're still in it for a number of four and five star talent. So it's definitely something to watch. Chance Gray, not only was Kelly Graves instrumental, obviously anytime you get a big time commit, the head coach is instrumental, but also mention that new assistant coaches, Mike Mosier and uh, Jamie Nared Hairston, two assistant coaches with the program that are new, were absolutely essential in her recruitment. And for fans who don't know, and I tweeted this, and then not only did I tweet it, but then her dad uh, quote tweeted it and said, yes, they were very important in her recruitment. Both Mike Mosier and Jamie Nared Hairston are elite assistant coaches. They're very good recruiters. They've connected with the current players. Oregon really hit home runs with both of those assistant hires. Mark Campbell was a great recruiter. And we've already seen that now that he's moved on. He took the worst, one of the worst D1 programs in the country, and they landed the number four player in the country as a transfer. He's already landed some of the best recruits they've ever gotten. Great recruiter and connected well with the kids, you know, the, the young women. Uh, Sabrina swears by him, you know, Ruthie swears by him. They loved Mark Campbell. Losing Mark Campbell was inevitable. He wanted to be a head coach. To fill that, with Mike Mosier and Jamie Nared Hairston and to have them have such early success and to be such obvious home runs this early is huge for the Oregon women's basketball program. So kudos to Kelly Graves for hiring them. Kudos for building a staff that is capable of recruiting at this level and, and kudos to Kelly Graves again for sustaining a national program even after losing Sabrina, Ruthie, and Satu Sabal in one year. Oregon had a little bit of a hiccup year, still made the tournament. We're a very good team. Look for Oregon to be a Pac-12 contender and an Elite Eight type program here just this next season. That is going to do it for this edition of the Recruiting Trail. Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we will be we will be back later this week for a non-camp edition of the Recruiting Trail. Thanks for listening.